Alrighty, good morning. Good morning. I it, it's so exciting to get together week after week with everybody here. Ah, it's just awesome. It's the best party in town. It's happening. <laughs> uh, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at different aspects of grace. Uh, we've looked at you know, having value systems and how we ought to trash those, having checklists of what we should do and not do. And um, we last week we talked about uh, the two trees in the garden and the two natures and the flesh and the spirit. And, you know, to some extent it might seem like we're kind of circling around some of the same territory, but um, uh, I think each week as... We go into it, uh, maybe something hits us finally, or maybe it's some new stuff that uh, you haven't really thought about. And this week is going to be, I guess maybe if I had to categorize more, the two approaches, or uh, different approaches we take towards God. I find um, many of us, um, we can get so focused on doing things for God, that we lose all sense of intimacy with Him. Does that make sense? In other words, we, we're doing things, we're just kind of going through the motions, and we're doing it, you know, we've done it a million times, we know how to do it, or, or somebody asks us to do something and we're doing it. Um, but there's, it doesn't seem like God's in it. You know, we're not kind of focused on Him while we're doing it. There's, there's no intimacy um, and that's kind of what we want to talk about today. So, as a Christian moves from a legalistic performance-based relationship to one that is uh, grace-based, they're moving into what we kind of call the grace walk. And as you do that, you'll find an increased inter interest in uh, developing intimacy with Christ. You know, that, that ever-present um, understanding of where he's with us. And you won't feel weird walking around talking to him when nobody else is around. <laughs> People will look at you in your car, you know. It'll, it'll seem normal. Here's a, a quote that came out of the book this week that I thought was powerful, was awesome. God wants us to desire him. We're not Christ. We are Christ's bride. We're not his hostage. We're, we're the bride of Christ, not his hostage. Wow. You know, we, we have to really get a grip on this relationship we have with him and being the bride of Christ and him being the bridegroom and all of those things that surround that whole vernacular of uh, a wedding. Jesus and the, the Bible use human relationships to teach us, to illustrate to us how we're to relate to God. In the various weeks we've been going on, we tend to bounce in and out of the uh, story of the prodigal son, and here we are again this morning. So if you turn with me to Luke 15... I don't know, I'm, I'm really starting to uh, 
find a, a great fondness, a new fondness for this uh, story about the Amen. wayward son, um, beginning to understand the, some of the depth of it. Are you there, Luke 15? Amen. We're going to look at verses 18 and 19. This is the son speaking. He's, he's been out living the fast life. He finds himself in the, in the pig trough. And he's, he's finally coming to his senses. And he's got this plan. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. He finally got to the point of feeling the remorse of living in the world and realizing, actually, I had a pretty good back home with my father. And and in fact, the servants are living better than I'm living now. But what we find in, in verse 19 He's no longer worthy to be called a son. This wayward son believed he was not accepted by his father. He thought, well, I've, I've totally blown. I've spent you know, my inheritance, and I've um, gone out and lived in a way that is destructive and away from my family, away from my father. I don't see how there's any way that he can accept me again. I mean, I... You know, I've just really blown it. And and as I said earlier, he was just feeling like, boy, if I could even just be a servant in his household, that would be better than where I'm at now. So one of the aspects of this story about the wayward son is that uh, is acceptance. Acceptance. He was a young rebel. He thought he was unworthy of his father's acceptance because of his sinful behavior. When the son returned, he found that the father had already forgiven him and was ready to fully accept him when he returned home. And in the same way, God has forgiven us of our sin nature. And if you're a a father or mother of uh, a wayward child, you know, you've experienced how God is working in your heart even before that child comes back. He gets you ready. He gets your heart ready. It's fascinating how God does that. But what it comes down to is this son didn't understand his identity, what it means to be a son, and how you you can't change that. You can't get rid of that. You can't break that off. And so because he didn't understand that he was a son, because of his, he didn't understand his identity, he felt he was unworthy of an intimate relationship with his dad going forward. He thought he could only be a servant. He thought that he had forfeited the right to relate to his father as a son, and that his father would reject him. But nothing changes sonship. Nothing changes sonship. And this is such a beautiful picture for us, a good lesson for us. When we mess up, when we're wandering around, when we're distant, that, you know, 
God didn't give us up. We're still a son or his daughter, and he's always ready for us to come back. Um, he's always there. And sure, bottom line is we can choose to sin. He gives us that latitude. We can choose to sin. I mean, he doesn't want us to, we, but we can choose to do it, can't we? However, when we understand that our identity in Christ, we don't want to sin. We don't want to sin because we know how it's going to make him feel. We know how we're going to feel about it. You just kind of lose that desire, that want to. So I think the question today to wrestle with is, do you see yourself as primarily God's son or daughter, or do you just see him yourself as a servant? You know, i got to do things for God because he's God, because I want to I want to be accepted by him, so I'm going to do things. Well, the, the prodigal son got to the point where he thought he was a servant, but the father, no, he thought of him as a son still. All righty, so the commands of Jesus. Um, turn with me to 1 John, not John, but 1 John. Chapter 5, verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. At this point, you might be thinking, wait a minute, I just thought you'd been telling me every week uh, you know, we don't have to obey the commandments. This is different. Um, when we when we view these commandments, these are the commandments of Jesus. Not, I mean, We're not talking about the Ten Commandments. Obviously, the commandments of Jesus um, are born out of that, that uh, the Ten Commandments and the Law. But when we view the commandments... Jesus' commandments as law, as something we have to do to be accepted, we're, we're likely to feel that we can never do enough. We can never um, be good enough. We can never obey these. We can never accomplish them. And some, maybe even worse off, are the ones that think, yeah, I got them all. I'm down. I don't mess up at all. I got all these... I'm really good at doing all these commands of Jesus. And yeah, that may put you in a worse state than the other one. And that, and that gets you to the point where um, you have arrogance and you begin talking down to others. And that's a, that's a rough spot to be in. So a grace perspective of Christ's commands reveals them as opportunities for Christ's life to be revealed through us. So instead of looking at them as uh, commands, things that I have to do to be accepted, we see them as, ah, these are opportunities. If I, if I can do some of these things, I'm going to really um, experience Christ's life. I'll, I'll begin to understand what he means, what Paul meant when he said, share in Christ's sufferings. Um, share in you know, the, the power of the resurrection. You know, we, we want to know how to be like Jesus, and we have some crazy, kooky ideas on how to do that sometimes. But if you look at the commands of Christ, 
he lays it out for us. Uh, there's about 50 of them that, that I've come up with, um, others have come up with. Um, if you are set free by grace, we don't view these commands of Christ with a view towards self-condemnation. You know, I can't do it, I haven't done it, I've really messed it up. But instead, we view these commands of Christ with spiritual anticipation. Oh boy. If I just try one of these this way, who knows what God's going to do in my life that moment, that divine appointment. Uh, turn with me to John chapter 17. John 17, verses 25 and 26. So this is a part of Jesus' prayer towards the end of it. He says, O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known you that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love of which you love me may be in them, and I in them. So, how do we how do we know him? How do we grow in our love for our heavenly Father? To know him is to love him. We see this repeated in these couple verses: to know, 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 and love. How do we do that? It, it's not checking off a checklist. It becomes a lifestyle. It becomes how we live, how we approach <clears throat> how we approach our faith. So for example, as with any relationship, we spend time with God. We spend time with Jesus. Uh, and we spend less time in the world, doing the things of the world. However we encounter the world. We we spend time thinking on uh, the things of God, thoughts of God, whether it be from reading uh, the Bible or somebody sending you a scripture, dinging you at four in the morning. Um, you're pretty grace-filled, you know. <laughs> or you get up early, I don't know which. But... Well, sometimes I look at it at that time, sometimes I just know it's there for me when I look at it. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, we, we get to know God better by having a conversation with Him, conversation with others. Uh, instead of things that are temporal, we're, we're talking about things that are eternal, things that have meaning and merit and worth and value. Um, we, we are observant and we're alert to the things of God. So we things happen, see things happening. You know, we ask and he'll answer, you know, God, where are you at in this? What are you doing here? What are, what are you trying to tell me? What's this saying? What, how should this impact me? And, you know, he'll answer. And, and all these things I've just told you in plain English about how do we come to know him, be more, more intimate with him, is simply um, a paraphrasing of what Jesus said is the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So when you when you break it apart that way, you know, our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, um, 
These are the things that we do, we can do. These are the things that can be part of our life, how we uh, live out our life to get to know God better. Um, there's, there's no single place in Scripture where you can see a list of the commands of Christ. It's interesting how um, you know, we're told to, that if we love him, we'll obey his commands. And we say, well, okay, where's that chapter at? Where's, it, where's those commands? You have to read the whole thing and kind of figure out what all those are. <clears throat> but you're in the right place today because I got them all on one piece of paper for you. In fact, I don't want you walking around town with your piece of paper hanging out of your pocket. We're going to text it to you. <laughs> so, Aline uh, is ready to text you the, the commands of Christ with the scripture references. So if you'll just kind of raise your hand as she looks around the room, she's going to text it to you right now. We're going to see who has her phone on. But. Um, so really, uh, just let her know and she'll text it to you as we continue on with the message here. Uh, if you do want a printed copy... Um, we can make copies and give them to you. We've got. You want to print them? You, you you gave us one, didn't you? I've done it before, oh, yeah. Okay, I have. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This this is uh, something that doesn't go away. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Alrighty. So we've talked about abiding in Christ moment by moment, and as we do our, our love for Him will enable us to resist temptation. We all get tempted, right? Satan's out there working on tempting us in one way or another. And But as we are um, abiding in Christ, it'll enable us to resist temptation. And it's, by, it's not by any great power we have, but it's his power in our life. Um, here's another great um, two points. We talked about a performance-based Christian, and we talked about a grace-based Christian, and how their approaches are a little different. So a performance-based Christian often studies the Bible to gain information, whereas a grace-based Christian studies the Bible to seek revelation. Wow. It's so simple, but so powerful. Are we, are we just... Studying the Bible just to know what it says so that when we're talking to people, we can spout out Bible verses and things like that. Are, are we just doing so we can have a bunch of knowledge? Are we seeking God's revelation? God, I, I want to know. I, wanna, I have this question. I, I need to know. and Reveal to me the things that I need to know. So how are we approaching it? You know, because a, a performance-based Christian will will have all of this knowledge and these fa facts down, and unfortunately, you can get to the point where you start um, slinging at, at people um, because it just comes off your tongue. That's all you know. It's, it's information that's coming out. You're not listening to what the person's saying. You're just talking and slinging it out there. Um, we would probably all agree that the modern church is filled with performance-based Christians who 
race from Bible conference to Bible conference or they uh, gain not to gain knowledge or they seek another experience or fresh anointing, whatever. And, and if you go to those, I'm not saying that they're bad. Don't go. I'm not, that's what I'm saying. But what is the motivation of what you're going? Is it because you want to say, well, I went to that conference and I went to that one. Did you go to that one? I went to that one and I went to this one. Um, in our world, we're in an incredible time. I mean, there's online Bibles everywhere all the time. I don't see how anybody on the planet could not have a Bible some way or some other. Bibles have been printed. It's the most uh, printed and sold book in the world in all time. There's Bible commentaries. You know, if you're reading the Bible, you don't quite understand something. You can find a commentary, somebody that's got that one figured out, like Adrian uh, just illuminated that one that she was studying on. Um, I mean, there, there's untold amounts. Every preacher's got a YouTube video. Uh, it just... There's no shortage of information, if that's what you're seeking. Um, so, a legalistic approach, and if you see yourself um, doing this, that you're seeking it to gain information, like it's you have this thirst, an insatiable thirst to gain information, um, you know, ask yourself, why, why am I going to this? Do I really want to have revelation from God on this? Or is it just information I'm trying to put in the back of my brain? Um, legalists can talk all day about the Bible being the Word of God, but legalism deafens us to God's voice. Deafens us because we're so hung up on the facts and the information. But where's the heart? Where is the heart? Um, legalism turns into turns prayer into a boring monologue. Right? Just reciting scripture and and um, saying things that and you can just tell it's just it's empty. There's no spirit, there's no heart there, there's no love there. Um, it's what we might call regimented Christianity. Regimented Christianity is uh, routine motivated. Uh, these, these type of Christians determined to pray at the same time every day for a certain amount of time and in, with a certain formula in the same way every day. And their prayer life is built around that formula which includes four or five steps. I was, I was kind of rereading that this week, and I said, ouch, that hurts. <laughs> I remember a time when I determined, well, I got to get up every day at a certain time, and I got to go and pray with this formula that I was told I've got to do, and I got to do it for an hour. And I got this book, this prayer book. I think the title of it was you know, how to pray for an hour every day. <laughs> and and it, it was good stuff. I mean, you know, the, the author had all good stuff. I mean, she's a very godly woman. But my motivation was that regimented Christianity and routine. You know, I admit, I was a little off off kilter here. So I'm reading, I'm, I've got this prayer list going, 
And every day I'm going through it, and I'm going through it pretty soon after a couple weeks. Wow, I'm, I'm getting this. I called the author. <laughs> Today, I got your book. I read it. I'm doing it every day. She wasn't that impressed. <laughs> so, you know, if, if I'm stepping on your toes or poking you, I'm the first one to admit um, it, it's easy to get off base this way. Hopefully as we uh, dig into grace, um, it'll come to you, you know, it's, it's not about so much about what I'm doing, but why I'm doing it. And what is my objective? What is my purpose? Uh, you know, sometimes we say, we don't want to bother God with our tiny little problem. He's busy enough. He's got plenty of things. There's people with bigger problems than mine. And I read another sentence in this book this week. Here's what we forget. Everything to God is small. Everything is small to God. You know, if you just have something wrong with your ear, that's, you might think that's small. Um, you know, you get cancer. You know, to God, that's small stuff. And he cares about each and every one of those little things. So I think it's a tool of the enemy for him to say, don't bother God with those small things. Um, you know, Adrian is constantly reminding me of this uh, point that um, God wants those small things. Well, you might think they're small, but he wants them. So, you know, bring them to him. Well, it also that relationship. He wants you to think of him in every instance, everything that you're going through. I mean, I call my dad for all kinds of stupid stuff all the time just to complain to him. Not that God wants to hear us complain, but again, it's prayer the, without ceasing. Yeah, the presence of that connection to him like you're talking about. But when when you, I also know when you when you do that, you're actually denying God of His omniscience, omnipresence, and omnipotence. Because you're basically telling him he cannot do all things because you're saying this little thing isn't, you know, like he's got too much other to do. And so you're limiting him because you're saying he can only do so much. So I'm going to take that off his plate so he doesn't have to worry about that too. And so you are denying that he is all powerful and all present and all knowing when you say, I'm not going to tell them about every little thing. See what I mean? Yeah. I have another confession on that very topic. So we were, we were living over in Del Norte, and we took the kids out um, sledding. It was real deep snow, and we had a four-wheel drive, so we're up there in the dirt roads. And sure enough, get stuck, and we're trying to get out. And I'm, I'm working at it, and I'm trying all these tricks, and Adrian and the kids are out of the car just watching me do all that. And one of the kids comes up. Hey, Dad, have you prayed yet? <laughs> oh! No, I haven't. <laughs> we prayed and we got out. It's just, it's easy to forget. So, do you want to hear God? Do you want to hear His voice? Legalism is focused on knowing what God wants me to do, whereas grace is growing in a desire to know God more intimately. You see those two divergent paths of how we approach our relationship with God? 
When a Christian abides in Christ, his thoughts and decisions are being directed by the Holy Spirit, which dwells within. So what we're talking about when we talk about the commands of Christ, once again, is a lifestyle. Um, it's not a checklist. Um, a grace Christian does not struggle to know the will of God, because like Paul, he knows that we have the mind of Christ. How can we say that? Uh, and 1 Corinthians 2 talks about that. You know, we seek God. The Holy Spirit goes and gets God's mind on a matter and presents it to us. And we can know, we can have the mind of Christ. So, grace Christians desire to glorify God through their lifestyle. So, the question this morning is, is your lifestyle glorifying God's grace? Uh, legalist Christians try to perform God's law and commands, proving themselves obedient and worthy of God's love and promotion to heaven. Um, I pray if, as you examine your own heart, if you find yourself there, that maybe uh, you know a deeper look at grace will help you rid that. Legalism separates Christians but grace draws us together in a love relationship. Um, flesh Christians are those who have not fully separated from the world. They're trying to be friends with the world and followers of Jesus. Not going to work. Uh, they know more about Jesus and less of Jesus. Um, turn with me to... Um, 1 Corinthians 3. So this is kind of why um, some of what we've been talking about over these weeks, uh, why we're excited about this book, Grace Walk, and why we really want to get it in the hands of anybody that will read it, is it just opens up so many insights about grace that we've never thought about. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3. Right there, we'll start with verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly, Still fleshly. So, what is Paul saying here? Paul's kind of frustrated, but he's telling them like it is. You know, that there is so much more to know about God. So much more to this relationship with God. But, you know, you're, you're stuck on the, the basics. And, you know, you're not open and ready and receiving. And there's so much more to have. But if you're going to be stuck, you know, you just get saved and that's it. Um, it's, sad, it's a sad situation. It's a sad situation. So, know that Satan is working against God, working against us, and he is telling us that we can't abide in Christ and Christ can't abide in us. That's silly stuff. 
That's crazy. That can't happen. But, you know, if you'll just prove yourself good enough, now there, there's a way to go. It, that, Satan is working on us to get us out of that abiding relationship. You know, under law, one must find the will of God. Under grace, the will of God will be revealed by the Holy Spirit. I, I'm, a, I'm making the broad brush of sense that we all want to know the will of God, <laughs> the mind of God. And so we're talking about the two different approaches here. So grace allows abiding believers to act in confidence that a sovereign God, sovereign God above is doing three things. One, he's directing our circumstances. Do you believe that he's a sovereign God, that he knows us, he's so concerned about our life, he's involved in our life, we can be in, involved intimately with him, that he is directing our circumstances? Um, you know, you might be struggling with that. That's a, that's a big question. But we're stating it here. You know, think on it, meditate on it a little bit. Uh, number two, um, a sovereign God above is a is working through a supernatural spirit within us, directing our thoughts. So we should not be listening to Satan, let him direct our thoughts, but God has put his spirit in, directing our thoughts. And the third one is an omniscient Christ. In other words, an all-knowing Christ is expressing his life through us. That's what we want to be doing as Christians, letting Jesus express his life through us. These commands of Christ that we sent out, um, that's how you can express Christ through your life. Um, it, like I said, just build a whole lifestyle. It's not a checklist. Even though I have them numbered, <laughs> um, and they're not in any particular order, um, but that's how we can express Christ's life through us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, any comments, questions? When I look at the story of the prodigal son, I have to remind myself that there's two sons. The one who left was not content with what his father was giving him. The one who stayed lived in the house that had no intimacy with the father. And when he has his complaint, when the father throws a banquet for the other son, he says, you never threw me a banquet. You never gave me a goat to, to share with my, my friends. He never asked. Oh, the prodigal didn't ask either. No, but but he was not content. Yeah. He left home because while he was home, he had everything that the father had. Yeah. When he left, the father had to divide it, and he squandered it. But the son who stayed had the father, lived in the father's house, had the father's ear, but didn't use it. Took it for granted. You know, we, we 
are both of those people, you know. Yeah. We're the one who leaves home, and we're the one that stays home, <coughs> and, and says, well, why God, you know. Amen. Anyone else? Bible, B-I-B-L-E, basic instruction before leaving earth. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. All right, well, God bless you guys. Let's uh, gather around and pray for one another before we go.